Thank you, Terry. Would you stand with me this morning as we read from God's Word? Again, we're in the book of Haggai. This morning, the second chapter, verses 10 through 19. Pastor Bruce continues the series, The Church on the Rise. Again, this morning we'll be reading from Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. This will be found in page 538 in one of the Bibles in the pews. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches the bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Then the priests answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priests answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. And now carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days, when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths from the press, there were but twenty. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day I will bless you. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for your word. Lord, may it speak to us this morning. Use Pastor Bruce, God, to challenge us to be a church on the rise. Lord, we may, may be, we be obedient so you can bless us and the community around us. In your name. Well, as Kirk mentioned, we are continuing in this series in the Old Testament book of Haggai, a series we're calling Church on the Rise. And uh, it's a four-week series. We began it uh, a couple of weeks ago, and as uh, you, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you may remember uh, we began this series with an illustration of how uh, God is leading us to build this church for His glory, a church on the rise. And, and we used the illustration of the Twin Towers, the World Trade Center, and, uh, and, and how we, most of the time now, since 9-11, we think about how the towers have fallen and why they fell. But do we ever give any thought to what makes, made the towers stand and the work that it took to build the Twin Towers? And, and I even said that there's a picture of myself and, well, actually, my family on top of the World Trade Centers. And it just so happened this last week, the week before I went to vac- on vacation, on Facebook, my cousin, who's in, one, in the picture, uh, sent this picture to me. I found it through her on Facebook. And so I thought I'd share it with you. Believe it or not, this, this is back in 19, I think, 79, or some, sometime back then. But that's, uh, you see Troy on the end there? He's striking the pose. Pretty good, nice pose there, Troy. And then Todd in the middle, no comment. And, uh, and then that's me right there in the middle, too, uh, and no comment there. And then the other three are my cousins uh, on, my, on my dad's side. And so we're on top of the World Trade Center, sir. And... Anyways, I thought you guys would get a kick out of that. I believe I'm in sixth grade, and Troy's in fifth grade. Todd, well, I don't know what grade he was in. Who cares anyways, right? But uh, we had a great time there in New York City, exploring New York City. In fact, Kara Losh was telling me this morning, spring break for North Kansas City High School is in a couple weeks, and they're getting ready to go to to, uh, Washington, D.C., and to New York City for a day. And so, Kara, maybe you'll have a picture like this. Not in the World Trade Center, they're not there anymore, but maybe on the Empire State Building or Statue of Liberty or something like that. So, anyways, thought I'd just share that with you, get a chuckle out of it. Well, did you, had, have you heard about or did you hear about the teenage boy who tried to outsmart his dad? How many have a teenage son who tries to outsmart you, right? You, you're, you can relate to this. Well, a teenage boy had just passed his driving test, and he inquired of his father as to when they could discuss the issue of a car, the use of the car. And his father said he'd make a deal with his son. You bring your grades up from a C to a B average. 
you study your Bible a little, you get your hair cut, and then we'll talk about you using the family car. The boy thought about it for a moment and decided, you know, that's not a bad offer. Dad, I think I'll take you up on that. And so they agreed on it. Well, after about six weeks, his father said, son, man, you've done a great job. You've brought your grades up. I've seen that you've been studying the Bible and reading it, but, you know, I'm disappointed. You haven't got your hair cut yet. The boy said, you know, Dad, I've been thinking about that. And I've noticed in my Bible studies that Samson had long hair. And John the Baptist had long hair. And Moses had long hair. And, you know, Dad, there's even some pretty strong evidence that Jesus had long hair. And to this, his father replied, did you also notice, son, that they walked everywhere they went? (laughs) Like you're laughing now, I laughed too when I first read this. I thought it was hilarious. Because it's so typical of most of us here this morning, including myself on that. And that is, we try to outsmart, not so much our dads, but we try to outsmart God in our lives. And as we continue in this series in Haggai, this message is all about, really, the futility of trying to outsmart God when it comes to our obedience. In fact, in many ways, Haggai's third message here is is really somewhat of a continuation of the first message that we saw two weeks ago. Now, as as we come to Haggai's third message, I'm going to make two assumptions And and here's the first assumption. I'm going to assume that most of us really want to obey God. That is, as followers of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, if you profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, I'm going to assume that there's some place in your heart you want to, to follow Christ. You want to obey God. And you want to please the Lord. And I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that in your better moments, you really desire to do that, to obey God. The second assumption is I'm going to assume that no one obeys God all the time. Right? Can we agree on that? None of us obey God all the time. In fact, even in our best moments, on our best days, we still fall short of what we know is right. Or as James 3.2 says, we all stumble In many ways. Boy, that's all of us. We all stumble in many ways. And yet I believe most of us, we want to. There there should be a desire within us as believers in Christ to obey God. But unfortunately, obedience is so much easier said than done. And that's when we often try to outsmart God, only to discover, man, I'm only deceiving myself. And that's something the people of God in Haggai's day found out the hard way. If you remember, after 16 years, after they came back from Babylonian captivity, they are now in Jerusalem, and after 16 years of focusing on their own self-interest, they finally began to put God first and rebuild the temple. And so with great enthusiasm, they launched into this project of rebuilding the temple. But within a month, One month, they they got discouraged. And Haggai encourages them in his second message that Pastor Chris brought to us last week to keep working. Don't quit. The best is yet to come with God's glory. Two more months have passed now, and the people are discouraged again, and they felt like quitting. Now, from the very beginning, Haggai has told them that they were experiencing dissatisfaction in life. They were experiencing discipline from God because of their disobedience. And so so when they started to rebuild the temple, they just expected their problems to kind of just disappear, if you will. They thought if they just rebuilt the temple, it would kind of be like a good luck charm. And God would just magically bless them. All the problems would go away. Everything would be all right in hunky-dory, if you will. But three months have passed, and nothing has really changed. They're still experiencing their same old problems, and the temple was a long way from being finished. And so the people began to do what most of us as believers tend to do in life as well. They began to wonder if obeying God is really worth it. 
You ever thought that? They began to ask, hey, where's all the blessings that God promised would come if we obey Him, if we serve Him, if we give our lives over to Him? After all, if there's no reward for obedience, then why bother obeying God? Right? You might as well live like the rest of the world and not worry about it. And that's us. I mean, who hasn't been there? Who hasn't done that and thought that? And we're just like God's people in Haggai's day. In fact, here's the question in your notes. Have you ever wondered if obeying and serving God is really worth it? You know, that's what I love about God's Word. It's so practical and so relevant. Because I imagine we're in this boat together, and we've all have wondered this at some point in our lives. Is it really worth it for me to obey God? Is it really worth it to serve Him and sacrifice my time and to do what I'm doing here in the church and the ministry and to live my life for Him? And just like the people in Haggai's day, they began to think the same thing. And even though Haggai's third message was spoken on December 18th, 520 B.C., it's still an important message for anyone who's ever wondered if obeying God is really worth it. Listen, God's Word still speaks to us today. It's practical and relevant for us, and there's good news in Haggai's message for us. Our God longs to bless every person who obeys Him with a pure heart. That's what we're going to see in this message. And you say, well, that's great, but where's God's blessing in my life? Because, man, I'm not seeing it. I'm not experiencing it. So far, my life is filled with frustration and dissatisfaction. In fact, if I'm really honest, it's filled with God's discipline in my life. Well, what we're going to see in Haggai's third message here is we're going to see the problem of why that is. And then we're going to discover the solution to it all in experiencing the blessing of obedience. So let's look at it. The problem And the problem is this, it's simple and to the point, as Haggai is in this whole book here, and that is sin contaminates everything we do for God. The problem is sin contaminates everything we do for God. Now this is a serious problem that, I mean, let's be honest, we tend to underestimate in our own lives, but God will not turn a blind eye to sin. And so Haggai, what he does is he uses an object lesson, again, We're no different than the people in Haggai's day. And I know this is over 2,500 years ago, but, man, we act the same way, we think the same way a lot of times. And sometimes we underestimate the power of sin and what it does and the implications of it, just like the people in Haggai's day. And so somehow Haggai's thinking, i got to get their attention. i got to use an illustration to... so they can see what's going on in their life. And so he uses this object lesson to illustrate just how serious the problem of sin is to God. What is that object lesson? We'll look at it again in verses 10 and 11. Look how he begins. He says, On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, that is December 18th, 520 B.C. Now, what's interesting about that date, it's exactly three months after work began on the temple. So three months they've been working on the temple. And now Haggai comes to them with this illustration. It says, The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, thus saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, You may be wondering, well, what's so special about the priest? Why is Haggai going to the priest and asking him, the the priest here, these questions? Well, the Old Testament priests were responsible for preparing and offering the sacrifices on the altar. They were also experts in the law, the Old Testament law. And so their rulings about temple worship and the laws and whatnot... They were authoritative. If you had a question about this, you could go to the priest, and all the people accepted what they said as authoritative. They were the rulers. They were the experts in the law here. And so Haggai calls on the priest for, quote, an official ruling on two questions in verses 13 and 14. Notice what they are. And this is really the heart of the illustration or the object lesson. 
Haggai asked the priest this, if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, no. And Haggai said, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Now, who understands what we just read? Right. Most of us don't have a clue what Haggai is asking the priest here. And that's okay. We, you know, this is a different time frame. And even though we experienced some of the same issues these people did, they, the culture was different. But let me tell you, all this may sound a little strange to us, but it would have made perfect sense to the people in Haggai's day. You see, they had hundreds of laws governing all aspects of life, and most of those laws had to do with understanding what was holy and what was unholy. Holy things were were objects that had been consecrated or dedicated to the Lord for his use. In other words, they were objects that had been set apart for God's use in the temple, predominantly uh, in temple worship and whatnot. And because God is holy, only holy objects could come into his presence. An unholy object now is not necessarily uh, sinful in itself. For example, uh, a pot might be holy, a regular cooking pot might be holy, because it was set apart for God's use in the temple. But the same pot might be used in a home to cook a meal with. And that pot's not necessarily holy, it's just common, it's ordinary. It's not sinful in and of itself. Another thing, touching unclean things could also cause you to become uh, defiled or unclean. And, and Haggai even gives a specific example of this, like such as touching a dead body can make you unclean. That was one of the, the laws or the rulings here. Now, with that little bit of background to, in this, here's t- two contrasting questions that we can focus on to kind of summarize it all, of what Haggai is asking. The first question is summarized this way. Is holiness contagious? And the answer is, no, holiness is not contagious. Basically, Haggai asks, what if something holy touches something unholy? Does the unholy thing become holy? No. And then the second question, we could summarize it this way, is uncleanness contagious? And the answer to this question is, yes. Basically, Haggai asks, what if an unholy thing touches a holy thing? Does it become unholy? And again, the answer is yes. Now, again, you may be like, oh, man, what? this is way over my head. I, what, does this have to do with anything about life for me today? So, you know, what's the point of Haggai's object lesson here? Well, this is a lesson about the pervasive power of sin. Haggai is using this as an illustration to illustrate a point that God wants him to teach the people and to teach us even today. The important lesson is this. Notice it in your notes. You can't catch holiness. But sin is extremely contagious. That's the lesson that Haggai's drawn with this illustration. You can't catch holiness. But sin is extremely contagious. Now, let me illustrate it with something we are more familiar with. Suppose you wash your hands. You know, you go to the bathroom, wash your hands, and then you touch a dirty plate with spaghetti sauce all over that plate. What will happen? Will your clean hand make the dirty plate clean? (laughs) No way. You have a plate that's full of spaghetti sauce, your hand's clean, you touch it, your hand is now going to be It's going to be unclean. It's going to be dirty. It's going to have spaghetti sauce all over your hand, and then you're going to have to go wash your hand again. All right? The spaghetti sauce on the plate rubs off on your hand. Now change the image. Suppose my son Jack, he's outside playing. As you know, springtime, the snow's melted, and outside in the yard, you got what? Mud. You got it. And he's, he's outside playing. He gives no thought when he comes into the house of wiping his feet. He walks in the house with mud on his shoes, and he walks on our clean carpet. What's going to happen? 
Yeah. The mud on, his, on the shoes quickly stains the carpet everywhere he walks. And then he dies because Darla just killed him. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. Or consider this illustration. When Darla has a cold, she won't let me kiss her. Why? Because she's fearful that I may catch her cold. But I tell her, listen, my kisses, Darla, oh, they're powerful. <laughs> my kisses have the power to cure you of your cold. She just laughs at me and says, back off. You know, that's not the way it works. It doesn't work like that. All right, so you get the idea here. That's the power of sin. You can't catch holiness, but like a disease, sin is extremely contagious. And like mud and spaghetti sauce, sin stains everything we touch. So what does all this mean for us today in our lives even, just as it meant for the people in Haggai's day? Well, notice this. When your heart is sinful, then your work for God and your worship of God will be unclean and therefore unacceptable to God. This is what Haggai means when he says now in verse 14, So is this people, so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now, just stop for a moment. I want you to notice a couple of things in this one verse, verse 14. Did you notice how God refers to the Jewish people here? He refers to the Jewish people as this people and this nation. Now, we just gloss over that, but folks, take notice of it because God doesn't refer to them in other times like he has as my people and my nation. It's those people. And it wasn't the first time either. God called them this people in Haggai's first message as well. And and this is no small issue because the implication now, God is saying there's a barrier between me and you. There's a barrier here, a gulf. Something's going on that has broken the fellowship. Why? Why? What's causing this barrier? Well, the reason for this barrier is because the people were outwardly religious, but inwardly they were unclean and therefore unacceptable to God. Now, evidently, the people assumed that because they were offering sacrifices to God, if you remember, when they first came back from the Babylonian captivity, they immediately rebuilt the altar. So they've been offering sacrifices for the last 16 years to God even though the temple hasn't been rebuilt. They thought, hey, I'm offering sacrifices to God. And because I'm offering sacrifices, that outward action, hey, that makes me holy in God's eyes. Even though they were contaminated by sin, by their disobedience. And what was the primary disobedience? Misplaced priorities. They had pushed God outside of their lives. Their own self-interest were first and foremost. See, they assumed that because they were, when they began working on the temple, that they would just automatically become holy themselves. After all, hey, the temple is holy. I'm working on the holy temple. That makes me holy. But the holiness of the temple was not rubbing off on them. In fact, on the contrary, God says, the sin, their sin, was defiling the temple, and God wasn't about to let this go. Why? Well, I like as one author writes, he says it this way, and I quote, sanctified actions are spoiled by unsanctified hearts. Listen to it again. Sanctified actions are spoiled by unsanctified hearts and therefore are unacceptable to God. You see, God wanted more than just a temple rebuilt. He wanted the hearts of his people to be fully devoted to him. God didn't want a big temple filled with empty hearts worshiping him. 
He didn't want animal sacrifices unless it was accompanied by a living sacrifice of the people. You see, God requires inward purity first and foremost before outward religion. God demands, as as the psalmist says in Psalm 24, 3 and 4, He demands pure hearts and clean hands when it comes to our work for Him and our worship of Him. Now mark it down. We can't outsmart God. This is what the people were trying to do. They were trying to outsmart God with their outward actions. And God's saying, listen, who do you think I am here? Do you think I'm a fool? You cannot outsmart me with your outward obedience and think that I don't see the inwardness of your heart. You see, God isn't impressed by our work for him. He's not impressed by our worship of him unless it is accompanied by a pure heart. Otherwise, it's unacceptable to him. And yet, that's what we try to do when it comes to obeying God with sin in our hearts. Now, I'm telling you, I can relate to this. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you can relate to this too. We are no different than the people in Haggai's day here. We pretend that everything is okay in our lives when it comes to obeying God with sin in our hearts still. I mean, how many of us have gotten up on Sunday mornings, we put a smile on our face, we come to church here like we are, we even may bring our Bible and open it up, follow along in the message, we sing the songs, we take notes, we may even serve in our ministry in the worship service or, or before in the discovery hour or even during the week in Awanas or whatever the case may be. And we can usually outsmart a lot of people But we can't outsmart God. People see our outward works. People see our outward worship, if you will. But God sees the heart, and He knows it's full of sin, and that sin contaminates everything we do for God. And what God is doing through the prophet Haggai, He's calling the people on it. He's saying, listen, this isn't going to fly. You guys think you're getting away with something, but you're not. And the critical question is this. It was the critical question in Haggai's day, and it's the question we need to ask ourselves even at this day. What's the condition of your heart today? Many people are concerned about heart disease. How many have had know your cholesterol level? Well, good. Some of you do. In our health-conscious society now, people are concerned more than ever about heart disease. And rightfully so. But are we just as concerned about spiritual heart disease that is just as serious? Remember, you can't outsmart God. So what's the solution to the problem of sin in our hearts that we think we can outsmart God with? Well, Haggai gives us that solution. Notice it is to examine your life carefully in the light of God's Word. Examine your life carefully in the light of God's Word. Now, notice the solution in the first part of verse 15. Immediately, Haggai says this phrase that we've seen before. He says, and now carefully consider. Now, this is the third time we've seen Haggai's exhortation to consider. In fact, he used this word twice in this first message, and now he's exhorting the people again to give careful thought to their lives and to their heart, to what he's saying. And to do so in the light of God's word, where you can truly examine your life from God's perspective. Haggai then adds the phrase, notice it in verse 15. He says, I now carefully consider from this day forward, from this day forward. That phrase, from this day forward, it's, it's a unique Hebrew phrase. And there's, um, it, it, when I say unique, the phrase can actually refer backwards as well as forward in time. Think of it like a signpost. 
that points back over the road you've already traveled, and it points on the way ahead. And so what Haggai does in response to the people's disobedience is he points them back to the great turning point in their experience when they began to work on the temple, and then he points them forward from this experience as well. Let me give you specifics on this. Notice it in your notes. Specifically, Haggai exhorts them to carefully consider two things. One, to carefully consider God's reminder about the past. And what is God's reminder about the past? We saw this in the first message of Haggai. Basically, that is sin brings God's discipline. Sin brings God's discipline. Haggai brings this to their attention again. And we see this principle at work in verses 15 and 17. Look at it with me. He says, And now carefully consider from this day forward, from before the stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of 20 ephods, there were but 10. When once came to the wine vat to draw out 50 baths from the press, there were but 20. I struck you with blight and mildew and hell in all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. In other words, in these verses, what God is doing is he's reminding the people of how things were before they began to rebuild the temple. In other words, if you remember in the first message, they were going broke economically. They were even going broke spiritually. Everything they touched turned sour. Nothing worked right because of their disobedience. Remember, and that disobedience was misplaced priorities. They put themselves first before they put God first. And so Haggai says, carefully consider how miserable and frustrated you were in life. In your disobedience. Before you began to put God first. Now the implication is clear. Basically, Haggai is drawing the people back. And he's saying to them, in other words, listen, surely it is utter foolishness. It's utter folly to go on living in sin now if it costs so much then. So carefully consider what you should do now in light of God's discipline. Think about it. If this is what your life was like, if this is what you were experiencing before in your discipline, man, what should you do now? So what should we do now in light of God's discipline? If God brings discipline into our lives, how should we respond to it? How should I respond? And there's only one answer. That is to repent of your sin. Because it's our sin that's bringing God's discipline into our lives. Now, the Lord had two purposes in his discipline. First of all, his discipline was to express his disapproval of the people's sin. And two, was to bring them to repentance. Now, don't miss the last phrase in verse 17. Look at it again with me. The last phrase in verse 17, when God says, Yet you did not turn to me. Turning from sin to God. Do you know what that is? That's repentance. When we turn from sin, and we turn to God, that is all repentance. That's what repentance is all about. And folks, that's all God wanted from the very beginning for his people. God wants us to turn to him with a humble heart and put him in the center of our lives where he belongs. Remember, the people had pushed God to the outer limits of their lives, and as a result... What did God do? He sent blight to their crops, and he sent mildew to their souls. They were experiencing dissatisfaction in life. Nothing worked for them. They were frustrated. That's God working on them. That's God's discipline. And it was all for the purpose to get them to turn from their disobedience and their sin, to recognize it, and to turn back to God. That's repentance. Now, this leads us to an important principle that we often misunderstand. And that is God disciplines his people. And he disciplines us in order to restore us back to a right relationship 
with him. You see, it's true. God was behind the people's hard times. We don't like to think about that, do we? But folks, listen to me. God wasn't doing that to be this cruel, killjoy kind of God in their life. God wanted to get the people's attention just as he wants to get our attention. And he wants the people to turn their hearts back to him. So many of us waste hours, we waste days and weeks and months and even years blaming others for our problems and frustrations in life when instead we ought to just carefully examine our life in the light of his word. Because after you're through blaming the world for all your problems in life and the mess you're in, you know what? You still have to deal with God. And the quicker we deal with God in repentance of our sin, the quicker we can move on in life and begin to experience His blessing in our life. Let me illustrate this with my own kids. And if you're a parent, grandparent, you understand this. When Tyler and Jack get in trouble, and Darla and I discipline them, What's the purpose of the discipline? Yes, it's to correct them. It's to correct their outer behavior. But you know what I'm more concerned with than their outer behavior? It's the inner heart. And so, for example, Jack, before we left on vacation, the the Sunday before, I had, well, three teachers over in junior church come to me and tell me, that Jack's behavior over there wasn't what it should be and that they had to get on to him. You know what my first question is to them? When you got on to him, how did he respond to you? I wasn't so much concerned about the behavior. Is the behavior important? Yes, the behavior is important. But I wanted to know how did Jack respond to the correction? Was he disrespectful to you? Did he correct his behavior then when you got on to him? Because that says a whole lot more about where his heart is and what's going on on the inside. And see, when the heart is right, our actions will be right. Will we mess up in our actions? Will we stumble and fall and sin? Yes. And then God will bring discipline if we don't make corrections. But how do we respond? And it's always a hard issue. It's always a heart issue first and foremost. Listen, it's a wonderful thing when you approach life with the knowledge that even in the worst moments, God is not out to get you or hurt you. He's out to help you. He wants to bring you back to a right relationship with him. God simply wants to bring you to the point of repentance so you will renew your relationship with him. Which brings us to the second principle Haggai exhorts us to consider. He says, carefully consider God's encouragement now about the future. And that is, obedience brings God's blessing. Notice this principle at work in verses 18 through 19. He says, consider now from this day forward. From the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it, is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit, but I will bless you. Now these verses are somewhat more positive in nature. They call on the people to consider how they should live now in view of how life has been for them, not before, but since they began to rebuild the temple. In other words, after delaying for 16 years, the people had repented of their sin of misplaced priorities, and they had been working on the temple for three months now. But they had a long way to go still. And their fields were still barren. You see, on the surface to them, on the surface, nothing appeared to be changing. And I think some of them were beginning to wonder if all this obedience was really worth it. 
Three months of obedience. And life's not getting any better for me. Why should I continue? Well, first of all, you've got to remember they were obeying on the outside with still sin contaminating in the heart, contaminating everything they were doing, and God's calling them on it. See, I think they began to wonder, like we often do, what's the use? Why bother obeying? Things will never be different in my life. But Haggai tells them now to consider their lives from not their perspective, but from God's perspective. And he says that in this verse, in this phrase here, when he says, since that day is seed still in the barn. And the answer is no. And God says, he comes back and says, but I will bless you. And I think what Haggai means is this. He's telling the people, listen, it's only been three months since you've been rebuilding the temple. The seed is not in the barn, but it's where? It's in the ground. You can't expect the harvest to just to sprout up overnight. So don't be discouraged about it. Look up. The best is yet to come, and the harvest is coming. So keep faithful. Keep obeying and do so with a pure heart. Consider your ways. Cleanse your heart. Keep working on God's temple for God's glory, and he will bless you. That is Haggai's message to them here. And so how should we respond to that? Well, there's only one way. That response is to obey with a pure heart. God's promise to his people is, I will bless you. Now, just just stop for a moment and consider this with me. I will bless you, God tells his people. That blows my mind. (laughs) Because when Tyler and Jack disobey, blessing them is the furthest thing from my mind. In fact, I'm irritated. That's what we, if I can say it this way, as American Christians are conditioned to. Because we live in a society that is instant gratification. And we want everything now. And if it doesn't happen now, then God, you're not doing your part. <clears throat> Listen, there's, there's always a way back to God when we blow it. And we all blow it, don't we? And there's always a way back through repentance and obedience. It be a slow and even painful process before we begin to reap the blessings of obedience. Again, this is something we need to consider carefully. Let me ask you, how many of us, we turn back to God because God has grabbed our attention And, oh, does God use a variety of means to grab our attention, doesn't he? And he's got our attention. We're broken. We're humbled. And for some of us, it doesn't take a lot of discipline. For other of us, it takes a school of hard knocks and life just going, well, you know where, before he gets our attention and we turn back to him. But how many of us, we turn back to him and then we give up on God Because he doesn't begin to immediately bless us. He doesn't change our lives. That is, and we say our lives, I'm talking about the circumstances surrounding our lives. Listen, God's blessing doesn't mean he removes all our problems in life. God's blessing doesn't mean he removes the consequences of our sins. Remember, the Jews were still under Persian rule, even though they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. They were still encountering opposition as they continued to rebuild the temple. Listen, they were not problem-free in their lives. What it does mean is that God will grant us his presence. God will grant us his power and his peace in our problems. And it means God will keep his promises. As we learned last Sunday, what the best is what? Yet to come. 
Oh, we don't like that, do we? <laughs> Yet to come? What are you talking about, God? I want it now. Where is it at now? I've repented. I've turned back to you. My life should be all over different. Listen, we don't mess up our lives overnight, right? It's normally a step here, a step there, a step here, and it's a process over time of messing up our lives. We think when we come back to God, he's just going to bingo, magically, it's going to be all right. No. The best is yet to come, and the question is, how much faith do we have in God? Will we remain faithful, and will we keep obeying him no matter what? Because God will remain faithful to you. So what lessons should we take away from Haggai's third message here this morning? Well, here's one abiding lesson. Check out your heart, and if need be, put first things first from a pure heart to receive God's blessing. That's the lesson of Haggai's third message. Now, I close with this. I close with some good news here from Haggai's third message. Our God is a God who longs to bless every person. That is, every person who puts first things first from a pure heart. So I exhort you, as Haggai does, check out your heart. Listen, we're going to have a response time here in a few minutes. The praise team's going to come, and they're going to sing. We're going to bow our heads, and that is the time. Use that time to check out your heart. Go before God in prayer. Ask Him to show you. And consider if you are truly seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, before you close up, did you notice what God tells the people in verse 19? God says, from this day forward, I will bless you. You say, from what day forward? Well, for the people in Haggai's day, it was from December 18th, 520 B.C. God said he would bless his people and they could rely on this promise. Repentance and obedience always result in God's blessing his people. God's people had experienced years of frustration and discipline as a result of their sin. But now God comes to them and he says, now it is a time to bless And this promise is for us this day as well. Mark this day. What day is it? March 6. March 6, 2011. Mark this day. And see if God doesn't bless you. Listen, if you're here this morning, you're like, man, there's no way God's going to bless me. My, My life is so messed up, jacked up. You don't know my past. Listen, it doesn't matter how terribly you have sinned. If you truly repent and begin to obey God from a pure heart, he will bless you from this day forward. The question is, will you check out your heart? Do you have the courage to go before God and to look into his word and say, all right, God, examine me? Do you have the courage, if need be, to repent of your sin? And will you begin to obey God no matter what? If so, then mark this day on your calendar and see if God doesn't bless you. With his presence, with his power, with his peace, so that you can begin to bring him glory. Because, folks, that's what our lives are all about. Remember I said at the beginning, Haggai, the book of Haggai is about the people of God rising up to build the temple of God for the glory of God. We don't worship in a temple today, do we? We are the temple now. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The presence of God indwells you as a believer Folks, listen, we can't bring God glory if my heart is filled with sin. And that's what my life is all about. And if I'm not bringing him glory, you know what? We ought to lay in bed at night and ask ourselves, why does God still leave me on this earth? If 
why I'm not bringing him glory. Why doesn't he just take me home? What use am I to God if I'm not bringing him glory? Do you understand how serious this is? And God, through the prophet Haggai, is asking us. He's asking me. Bruce, check out your heart. Because if there's sin in your heart, it contaminates everything you do for him. And it's unacceptable. And God won't bless it. We are called to build this church. Church on the rocks. And folks, as a church, if there's contamination of sin in the heart, then everything we do in this community and in these four walls of ministry doesn't matter. Our work for God and our worship of God is meaningless. If this isn't right. So consider. Check it out. Put first things first with a pure heart. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. And I pray that your message would take root in our hearts. And Lord, by your grace, we would come to you and we would make things right. We would check out, first of all, our heart. And if need be, we will repent of our sin and begin to obey and do so with a pure heart. Lord, I pray that you will use our time now, these few moments as the praise team sings, to come before you. And that, Lord, you would do a work that only you can do by your spirit. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. As the praise team sings, will you respond? It's your opportunity. For the cross, the night.